Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The new book, The Immortals of Tehran, is set in 20th century Iran. It begins right around the time of the Anglo-Russian invasion of 1941 that forced out one Shah and ends soon after the 1979 revolution that toppled his America-backed son. The story is not, however, primarily of prime ministers and parliamentary intrigue. It's the story of a family, of a poet-turned-politician and his daughters, of his wife and his father and his grandfather and his great-great-great-great-grandfather, and of cats. We'll get to the cats in a minute. The authors of The Immortals of Tehran is an Iranian translator and writer. He was born in Tehran, but for the past four years, he's lived here in St. Louis. He's a Ph.D. student at Washington University, and he joins us today to discuss his life and his work. So, Ali Aragi, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Ali, your protagonist, uh, Ahmad, he witnesses so much history, but he's not always on the right side of it. What made you decide to make him the center of this story? Um, so it it happened kind of uh, kind of organically. Um, the story is not necessarily the story of one person. Ahmad, it's a, uh, like you said, it's a family saga with a, with a big cast of characters. Um, there's mm-hmm. a family tree on the, at the beginning of the novel, and there's a, like only that family. There are 30 characters on that, on yeah. that uh, family tree. Um, so the project was almost to uh, have a, a large character, a large family. And, uh, well, I can talk about this later um, in more detail. Uh, but I, but I needed to have one uh, one major cent- central character, and and the story of what kind of uh, so th- that main character became well Ahmad actually so he's a, he's a poet like you said uh, uh, he witnesses something and we can go again into some detail um, and it becomes interested in poetry and the politics but it's not specifically about politics mm-hmm. and him, but it's about a, this collective of people. And he is silent. Uh, I guess we, we would call him mute. And that dates back to something terrible that happened in his childhood. Tell us what happened in that scene. It's very early on in the book, so no spoilers here. Yeah, though this is um, this is a kind of maybe topical spoiler, but this is it's, like we're gonna have to talk about this if we want to talk about the novel i think um so yeah like you said this something happens at the very beginning of the book at the end of chapter one he witnesses his uh, father's suicide and he loses his voice for the rest of his for the rest of the novel for the rest of his life actually and uh yeah so um he becomes this silent person um who witnesses uh, a lot who experiences life in different ways and uh he actually becomes a poet because I think in in parts because of this thing that happens and because of losing his voice. Mm-hmm. His name when he first starts uh, doing poetry, he goes by the Silent Fist. I just love this name. Did you draw on anyone um, in real life with that kind of moniker um, in inventing this character? Um, no, um, it, like the name itself is not is not historical. I mean, the fact that there were um, Poets used pen names was a is a historical fact. So there are like um, a lot of poets use like some examples that come to my mind is like shadow, like dawn or daybreak, 
or Hope. These are like pen names for some very famous contemporary poets in Iran. Um, so, so this fact that uh, poets use pen names is is a historical thing, but uh, the and a silent fist is not. I didn't draw it from any any but anyone specifically. Um, so it, it comes from like what happens to him the way that uh, he doesn't speak, um, and uh, what happens like when he works at the at, when he goes to work at the forge. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm trying not to spoil the novel. Uh, <laughs> the things that happen. Uh, so yeah, yeah, his, his fist, his fighting. Like the, there's some fighting that that he does, and so it, it plays some role in picking that name. I found myself wondering about the role of poetry in Iranian society. It feels like if this novel was set in the U.S., it would be easy to see your main character being maybe a journalist instead. It feels like poetry in 20th century America didn't always have the impact that other forms did. It, it was that different in Iran. In in my experience, yes. Uh, in my experience of of Iranian society and poetry, uh, almost ends eight years ago when I moved to the U.S. So what I'm telling you is uh, kind of my experience up until that that moment. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, it seems like it seemed to me like uh, poetry in general has a is like more present in in society. There are uh, both classical and contemporary. So there's a there's a long line of classical uh, uh, poetry that people are still um, engaging with. There are a lot of people who read um, poets like Hafez, Rumi, um, Ferdowsi. Um, you still you can still see on social media people post poetry or like comment with a with a quick line of uh, a poem. Um, and there's this there's this kind of funny, interesting um, custom of like divining using poetry. Like you, you're you're undecided about something that you're trying to do. You can't make up your mind. Sometimes people like open a uh, open the collection of Hafez's gazelles, and by reading the poetry and kind of interpreting the the tone, uh, the like what the um, poem's trying to say, they kind of like try to figure out like what how to make a decision i'm not like i'm not saying that like this is a very serious thing but it's it's actually it's been a tradition and still going on um so yes it's a it's a very uh, more present um type of uh, literary form hmm. and i know you're you're very well versed in um in modern poetry you edited and translated a compilation of seven young iranian poets bringing those into english and, and that book is called i am a face sympathizing with your grief um is good iranian poetry for the most part available in english if people are really willing to seek it out or is this something you were trying to rectify with with bringing that book uh to us um so that 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 book has a uh, has a story of its own um when i was a little bit before i came to the us i started this online journal up called paragraffiti and it was at first dedicated to translating fiction persian contemporary persian fiction into english hmm. um after a well a little bit after we started um we added poetry to to the magazine too, um, and um, and, he, and we we published some um, Iranian like Persian poetry in English translation. And then after I moved here, um, I went to uh, University of Notre Dame to um, study um, creative writing. Um, I kind of continued to translate to work on that journal and to translate some poetry. Um, and then when I I looked at the kind of repertoire of my 
translation, my poetry translations, and I decided that this could get a little bit more expanded and get uh, could become a um, a little book of itself. Um, so the the kind of idea and philosophy behind that was actually looking at the margins of um, po Iranian poetry today and try to uh, find the the gems there. Um, so it was like the, the project was to not look at the center, the people who usually get the spotlight, but actually maybe younger people who don't who are who are doing great work, but don't get a lot of uh, get a lot of the spotlight. So mm. that's that was part of the philosophy behind that. But the the thing is that uh, I couldn't get everything that I wanted to because of. I had to I had to select some of the poetry that I thought I felt more confident that I could do justice to. Mm -hmm. um, so there's I'm not a native speaker of English, and I uh, there are there are a lot of poems that I thought and I still think are are really good poetry, but I don't see myself uh, being able to translate them well into English. So there was a so this is a, just a selection of what I liked to have seen in English. That makes sense. And I can't even imagine the complications of trying to translate poetry. That seems like that's got to be the <laughs> hardest job for a translator. Um, we're talking today to Ali Aragi. He's the author of The Immortals of Tehran. And Ali, I promised our listeners that we would get to the cats. So I got to make sure we get to the cats. Um, this is a work of magical realism. And for people not familiar with this genre, it, uh, things happen that seem somewhat extraordinary, but they're almost treated as um, as expected uh, within the book. So, for example, people stick around after they're dead and they communicate and even play in the snow. Um, a poem, going back to poetry, a poem can unlock prison doors. And then there are the cats. So without giving us too much away on this, tell us about the role that cats play in this novel. Um, so if you allow me, I'm going to give you a, like a very short overview of the of the whole novel. Sure. Um, before I get to the uh, get to the cat, so that's there's a family at the center of this novel, and uh, they're apparently under some age-old curse, as a result of which every other son in the in the family dies young, whereas the other um, lives as if forever. We follow the life of uh, one of these apparent immortals, um, like you said, Ahmad, uh, from a very young age to um, to the revolution and a few years after that. Um, so there's a subplot. Uh, in the novel, like you said, that about cats. And uh, the novel kind of implies that whatever happened in contemporary Iranian history was the doing of cats, not people. Um, so there, there are a number of things that, um, that came together for these cats to be this um, kind of a um, central point locus of the novel. Um, it started with a kind of everyday incident uh, when I was back home. Uh, I was walking home. I was on the sidewalk walking home and I saw a cat. Now for those people who may not be very familiar with Iran and specifically Tehran, uh, street cats are a very a very common thing to see hmm. in Tehran. Um, kind of like squirrels here, a little bit more with a little bit more character. They're different animals. Um, so you would see them on walls, under cars, in dishes, um, ripping open garbage bags. Um, but this one, well, usually they're usually they run away. They look at you, they eye you up, and if they, if you walk too close to them, they they run away. But this this one specific cat was walking towards me on the sidewalk, 
and not even looking at me. It was not even eyeing me up. At that moment, it felt, it felt to me that this cat is kind of making a statement, saying, like kind of saying that we, be, me and you, have the same rights to this sidewalk, if not to the city. We're, the, we're equal citizens. Hmm. And then kind of the, the thought kind of snowballs, like, ooh, so what, what if these cats that I'm seeing every day in the city, what if they're, they're up to something? What if they're not just wandering around? And then again, it kind of snowballed. And was like, oh, what if they have been... They have been plotting, they have been doing something for the whole, like for longer than this, for the whole history. So that's that's one central image that I had um, that I based the novel on. <clears throat> but go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think any cat lover can identify with that thought. You know, they're so <laughs> smart and you cannot trust them. They could be plotting revolution. I have been told that before with, uh, yeah, other, other people have mentioned that. Uh, so I was, what I was going to say about the cats, uh, if I have time, is that um, one other uh, thing that uh, the cat subplot is it's hopefully doing in the novel is kind of bring to attention the, the concept of uh, historical writing um, in the sense that a, a historical text uses this um, a very similar um, narrative strategies as as fiction um, you take uh, events out of the continuum that is life you put a beginning to it put an end to the to it you uh, write about one person a certain event so there's a theme to this historical piece of writing and this is something that fiction does now so some of the questions are what is this frame doing what is it leaving out what of that narrative um is there something that we're not taking into account is there something that is misrepresented so hopefully this sub th these cats would um raise some of these questions uh for some of the readers i mean i'm not i'm not saying that i wrote this novel to as a statement about historical writing or history but um so yeah i'm hoping people read it and enjoy it but uh but also, I'm hoping that some people you know, start thinking about these things. You're teasing out some important ideas there. Um, and I feel like that's this novel works on several levels. You can enjoy this saga of this family, but there's also a lot to, to chew on and think about. And um, this novel, it's The Immortals of Tehran. You can get it at Left Bank Books. want to encourage people. You can get your copy there curbside. Um, they are currently open for that. But Ali, I'd, I'd be remiss not to talk about in our last few minutes here, um, you are a PhD student at Washington University. Um, and what what made you decide you wanted to study in the U.S.? Um, so I was a I was a translator in Iran, uh, and by that I don't mean a, a professional translator. I was I was an English teacher, so that's how I made my money. And on the side, I did some uh, literary translation um, things that I enjoy that I liked. Um, and then uh, a little bit after that, I decided that I I wanted to do my own writing. Um, so I, I started writing short stories, um, and actually I published a uh, collection of short stories in Iran. And, and later on, I thought maybe I needed to. Um, so I, so I was thinking how I can uh, dedicate more of my time to becoming a writer. Hmm. And one one opportunity, one possibility was uh, applying to um, creative writing programs, um, in like like there were there, there were number there were a few in Canada and like, I, I don't know about um, England, the England, but 
the ma the majority of them that were in the U.S. that I applied to. So um, I applied twice, um, and then I came here and studied um, creative writing at, at the University of Notre Dame. So yeah, that's uh, that's how it started. And then after that, uh, I heard about this new program at WashU that they started. Uh, it's a comparative uh, literature program, but they started this new track uh, called International Writers Track. Hmm. And uh, so they're, they're you know, quote unquote, international um, writers and poets and translators who uh, study there and do create both creative and academic work. Was it a shock going from the Middle East to the Midwest? It was a great. It, it was a big shock because I, I lived in uh, in, a, in a in a huge city of eight to ten million mm -hmm. population. I went to uh, South Bend, Indiana, and uh, and the timing was not the best because I I landed there in December of twenty eleven, and the, yeah, the the semester had had already ended. So when I went to campus. There was snow and there were some squirrels. And I was like, where are people? <laughs> and so that, that, that difference between, so it was like very empty. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a great shock. And then after that, I lived in uh, Ames, Iowa for, for two and a half years. And then, and then I came to St. Louis. And this is, the, this is the biggest city that I've lived in outside of Iran. And uh, yeah, so I was, I was talking to some of, uh, some of my friends uh, I've never been to New York. I've never visited New York. I've loved, like everybody gets, especially back home. Like hey, you've never been to New York, but um, so I've been I've been joking that St. Louis has been like my New York in the states so far. Well, yeah. we we consider that a very flattering reference. We're glad to be your New York. Um, have you been able to find a community here? Uh, yes, I mean the 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 community at at WashU uh, has been uh, has been a good good community of friends. Um, for me so far, um, but I feel like I, I still need to kind of step out of that, uh, the, the academic, uh, kind of my, my academic community and uh, connect to some um, people uh, mm -hmm. outside of the, outside of academia. That hasn't happened uh, to me in the past couple of years because I've always been in an academic environment. That's, that is something that I need to do. And uh, I miss, but uh, but this community that I, that I've had uh, has been very um, helpful and friendly. Well, hopefully, as things continue to open up, you'll be able to do that. I have one last question for you, and that is just um, your feeling for your your native country comes through so clearly in this novel. What is the one thing you find yourself missing most about Tehran or, or Iran in general? Um, I think, aside from my family, uh, like I guess. Walking the walking in the streets is has been very um, strangely uh, something that I, that I miss. Mm -hmm. um, it's not it's a very walkable city. Tehran Tehran is, and uh, I didn't realize that that how much I liked doing that uh, until I came here and I found out that no, you can't you can't just walk from place A to like point A to point B, and. And this is actually something that other people from other, like my friends from other um, parts of even Europe and other countries um, talk about also, like how they, um, they want to walk in, in a sidewalk full of people, you know, and see life going by. Um, yeah, that's something that I really miss. Boy, and I can see, I can see why you do. I wish we had that here. But um, Ali Rahagi, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. And Ali's book, again, it's The Immortals of Tehran. It's a great read. A Left Bank book has copies, so you can get yours. And we need your help. It's been 20 years since St. Louis's own Nelly released Country Grammar. The album sold more than 10 million copies and achieved diamond status. We'll discuss its impact on Friday's show, and we want to hear from you. Was Country Grammar the soundtrack to your summer 20 years ago? What memories does listening to the album evoke today? Send us a voicemail with your thoughts at 314-516-6397. That's 314-516-6397. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.